Would you turn with me to James, the letter of James? It's towards the back of your Bibles, James chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles in front of you, and one of the chairs in front of you. There's a thick one and a thinner one, and they're both around 950 or 1,000, depending on what, if you have a thick Bible, it's around 1,011, and the thinner Bible is on page 950. James chapter 2 is our text this morning. So yesterday I was working at the church after the men's Bible study and working on my sermon and was finishing with it and I went to the printer and as I came out of the printer, I was greeted by one of our members, Casey, you know Casey, Casey Treat. He said, Pastor Daniel, he gave me a hug like he usually does and then he says, I got to show you my t-shirt and he stand back and it said, it was a white shirt, I hate everyone. And he looked at me with a big smile, and he had just given me a hug. He doesn't hate everyone. It was sarcastic. I wanted to say that's the exact opposite of my sermon tomorrow. Thank you, Casey. Are you here right now, or are you in the kitchen? Okay, when Samuel, you remember Samuel and David, King David? When Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel, he was told it was the family of Jesse. And so they were all before him, all of, almost all of his family. And he looked at the eldest and he said, surely he must be the next king of Israel. Nope. He went to the second born. Surely he. Nope. He went all through all seven sons. God didn't give him any peace on who that should be. Do you have another son? Well, yeah, his father said, but he's the youngest. He's in the field. He was the one. 1 Samuel 16, 7, God said, Do not look on appearances or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. How do you view people? How do you view people that you see at Walmart? At the gas pump, walking the dog. How do you view people as you walk into a service like this? Do you see color, fancy dress, outward looks? Is that how you treat them, determined by those things? Do you shy away from those who look a lot different than you, are strange or weird in your opinion, or messed up or dirty, or disheveled, mentally ill-looking, dressed up, too dressed up, or too tattooed, or pierced up? What about looks, beauty? Chances are you're impacted more than you know in regards to people's beauty. They call that lookism or beauty bias. And how we treat people a little bit differently because we see what they look like. Do we find ourselves showing preferential treatment to our friends in school, young people? Maybe those that are cooler than you or cooler than others. You respect them a little bit more. Maybe it's because of beauty or because of nice clothes or because they have money or their parents do. Same can go for your work, the people you meet in your neighborhood. And what about in church? James is a pastor, 
who writing this letter, and he's concerned that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, penetrates so deeply in the hearts of every Christian that it changes the way they think about God and the way they think about the people that will walk in and gather with them week after week, day after day. He's concerned that they're doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. He's concerned that their faith is real and they're not self-deceived tricked into thinking they're one person, a Christian, when they're really not at all. He wants them to not have worthless religion, but he wants them to prove that it's real. It's undefiled and pure. So let's look at the first 13 verses of James 2. Would you read them with me? I'll read them. You follow along. We're going to be... We're going to stay and we're going to just walk through these 13 verses with five points this morning. But let me read them. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored this poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For whoever said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word. Friends, this word is for all of us, even if you don't think it is. Even if you don't think you struggle with this. This isn't just a word for those who are obviously Racist or sexist or snobbish or rude. This is passages for you. This is for Pastor Daniel. This passage probes our heart. Do we truly know and understand how God treated us? Do we truly understand the grace of glory and the glory of God? Do we understand genuinely? Love to our neighbor, 
Do we understand that our relationship with others is impacted by how we really understand how God in our relations? Do you realize that? Your relationship with your neighbor and friend is impacted by whether you truly understand and have deeply been impacted by your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that as a result of this text, we will not only turn away from the vice, the sin of favoritism, but that we will dig into the heart of it and we'll come away like with just joy in our hearts saying, he loves me this much. How can I not love other people that are, are, are strange or different or uncomfortable in my life? James, James takes this topic of favoritism or partiality, as he calls it in the ESV, and he does a surgery on the Christian. And this surgery on the Christian is thorough and it's accurate. And it's meant to go, and he doesn't stop until he is done. Okay, so I, I just one clarification. I'm going to use the word favoritism and partiality interchangeably. They, they mean the same thing pretty much. My version says partiality. If you have a different translation, it might say favoritism. And I'm going to use it. My main points are going to say favoritism, same thing. Here are the five points that I want to give you. May God change our hearts, our lives, to see him and his grace and us and our attitude towards others rightly. You can see in the back of your, if you received a bulletin on the back, there's five points. We're going to walk through the text here. Five points of the text regarding favoritism and showing partiality. Here they are. Number one, the, pro, the prohibition of favoritism, the prohibition, the, the prohibiting of this thing called partiality or favoritism. Look at verse one. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. It's very clear. You see it? I mean, it's not hard to catch. Show no partiality. Show no favoritism. What is favoritism? Favoritism is treating people differently based on their outward appearance or their worldly advantages. That might be wealth, popularity, or fame. It is treating people based on superficial and selfish motives that drive you and how you treat them. I like how John Piper answers this in an Ask the Pastor John questionnaire. He says, impartiality does not mean treating everyone the same. It means basing your treatment of others on the right kind of kill the man, asks the judge and the jury. If he did... Then he goes to jail. Is the kid really a good ball player? Asks the coach. Then he should be on the team. And it's not a matter of his color or his family or his dad. We show no favoritism. God was always concerned about favoritism, so much so when he freed the Israelites from slavery and he brought them to the land and he said, you are to live in a certain way and you need to know what kind of God I am and how you're to treat one another. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, he says, for the Lord 
your God is a God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is the great and the mighty and awesome God. Now note this, who shows no partial partiality and does not take bribes. He is not influenced by wrong standards, by superficial, selfish standards as a just judge goes. And then he says, so you should execute justice for the fatherless, for the widow, for the sojourner. That's those from another land coming in and is considered the outcast. Treat them fairly. No partiality or favoritism. Love the sojourner. You are a sojourner in the land of Israel, in Egypt. So this passage says, you got it? Verse 1, show no partiality. You are not to treat your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, someone in church differently based on whether they're popular, rich, a different color, a different sex, different way of thinking, dressed differently, part of a culture. You are not to treat them based on those superficial standards in your heart, in your attitude. You are to love them equally in a certain kind of way. Number two, verses two through three, we see, secondly, an illustration of favoritism. Do you Stare with me at this passage. Look at verses 2 and 3. If a man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, so he gives a scenario of a church service. Two people come in. One is dressed up, and you look and say, he's well-to-do. He's put together. He has all the signs of being somebody who actually might help my life if I get close to him. And somebody else that is really poor, shabby clothing, maybe smells doesn't look very put together, disheveled. And if you pay attention to one, here, I have something really nice for you. Why don't you come in? I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. And to the other, you basically ignore them and let them sit in the outskirts of things. He says, he says, imagine that, verses two through three. That's the scenario. That's an illustration of favoritism he gives to us. Clearly, this is a problem in James's church, in the life of the church then. It had always been a problem in some ways or another, even when we don't notice it, because we can do the same things. We, who, do, who do you gravitate to quickly and based on really superficial judgments really quickly? We can make little judgments in our heart. Test yourself this week. Judgments based on they look put together. They look sharp. They look beautiful. They, they look like, we wouldn't say it this way because we don't like to think this way. We don't even think this way, but it happens under, under the, in the subconscious. They, they, they can help me. Friends, let's do an inventory on this in our hearts. If you're in the youth group, kids, what determines how you see somebody new that comes in? Do you go after them to care for them, to show kindness to them, treat them? We're going to see this in a little bit, like you would want them to treat you. How do you relate to those that walk in on Sunday morning, those that you know and don't know, those that maybe naturally 
strike you wrong. You had a conversation one time and they, eh, they just didn't agree with you or they weren't agreeable to you. And so I guess you wouldn't think of it like this, that you're showing partiality or favoritism, but you're not treating them the same as you would someone else. Same should go for your, all things, work, neighbor, school. I pray that verses 2 and 3 would not be part of our hearts and not in our church. We would open wide our doors to all who are needy, and we would, we would see them like Jesus wants us to see them. Let's look at verse 4 now for the third point, and that is the heart of favoritism. What, meaning, what I mean by that is, let's get to now to the like, why do we show favoritism? Why, why has it been happening 2000 even before that, so much so that we could read, I mean, you remember Jesus, and as he goes into Samaritan, the Samaritan village, I mean, the disciples are just so upset, the fact that he'd go and talk to a Samaritan woman, he should show favoritism. He shouldn't show, treat a woman like that and not a Samaritan. We are Jews and they are dogs. This was in the culture of ethnicity, the culture, culture of male and female. This was in the culture and Paul, James is writing to the church and saying, it's changed. You need to think differently about people. You need to think through a whole... And I want to get you to the very heart of this. And look at verse 4. He says this, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's... Verse 4, verse 2 and 3 is the example. Verse 4 is the verdict of what they're doing. You see, they have evil hearts. And in that first phrase, when he says, have you not made distinctions among yourself? It actually could probably be translated better. Are you not being double-minded in your heart? That's actually the same phrase as when he said, don't pray with doubt because then you're being double-minded. You're divided in your heart. Your heart is to God one way and you're trusting something else another way. I think James is saying the heart of this favoritism is you're double-hearted. Your heart is divided. It is divided. You say your heart is to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you, but really your heart is actually towards wealth or position or being in the inner circle or woman, widow, the other way. You treat like that because your heart isn't all to God. You are double-minded. I think that's really the heart of it. Even though our translation says you're making distinctions, I think he's saying your heart is divided and you have evil thoughts. From the, the thoughts, the heart comes the thoughts and I think the heart of this is we don't love God like we ought to. If you remember, we're going to see this in the next verse. He's going to say, for all who love God, there is, the kingdom is for those who love God. Literally, I think James would want to say to them, remember I just said that Jesus, you have faith in the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. Don't you know that he is your glory and you love him? Why do you try to get glory from other people? Why would your heart, your evil thoughts, your heart is double-minded. 
You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And if you love the Lord with all your heart, you're going to love how he loves more and more because it's going to start to come into you. You can't love God and say you don't love other people that he has shown care and made. And you'll look at other people and you might see the most ugly to human eyes, the most distasteful to human eyes, the most difficult to human understanding, the most dejected and disheveled person and if you love God, it's going to change the way you think. Your hearts are evil. You have evil thoughts. Your hearts are divided. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't love God and money. And really at the heart of a favoritism is a heart of a, a gain and a possession, whether that be glory or money or something that makes me feel superiority, therefore my snobbishness in my treatment of others. Friends, our hearts, my heart, your heart needs to be more fully overcome by the grace that we ourselves have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not yet our treasure when we don't, when we treat others as though I need to use them to get to a treasure. I need them and I need to treat them more highly because they will bring me more good. There's no way that if that church scenario in verses two and three and someone rich came in and we treated them well and someone poor we didn't treat well, why would we treat the rich well? For no other reason than we want to get some gain from them in the long run. And yet our glory is in someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our satisfaction. We don't need glory from them. We, need, we have glory in Jesus and the heart of it is the heart that the thoughts that say, He is my satisfaction. This poor and this rich person, I need to see them through Jesus' eye because they need Jesus. I don't need them. I need Jesus too. He says, We judge with evil thoughts. Yes, it's the heart that evil thoughts come from that lead to. Favoritism and rejection and racism and snobbish attitudes and prejudiced treatment to those who don't fit our mold. Oh, may we be a welcoming people. James isn't done with this talk about favoritism. He's going to keep going. Will you look with me at verses 5 through 7 and where we see the fourth point? I want you to see verses 5 through 7, the folly, the folly of favoritism. Let me just say it this way. Favoritism is stupid from a spiritual perspective. But that's the reality is sin is completely, it is complete idiocy. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised for those who love him. But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you've been called? He gives two instances of our folly, our foolishness, when we show partiality. He first of all says, favoritism contradicts how God treats you. And we see that in verses 5 and 6a. 
Favoritism contradicts how God has treated us in Jesus Christ. He says, has not God chosen you who are poor? In fact, you might be rich, but you don't get saved unless you become poor in spirit and come broken and humble before God and say, I have nothing to bring to you, God. I'm so bad. No one gets saved unless they realize how bad they really are and how much they needed Jesus to die for them. And so they are at least poor in spirit and humbled, but God saves all the time the poor. And he says, he says has I not called the, you who are poor to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom of God for all who love him? Oh, the gospel is this message that God, the very God of the universe, stoops down and loves people like you and me. God saves sinners who need to be saved. And how does he do that? He sent his son Jesus and he gave his life for us, died on the death on the cross, rose from the dead. The gospel being that God chose each one of us if we're saved, not based on our outward appearances, not by, based on our wealth or race or any superficial status. We were rebel sinners, dead in our sins, and based on a wisdom from God that we're not privy to, he gave us life and he moved our hearts to respond to him and we had repentance and faith and it's all of grace, all of his mercy. We saw Jesus in his glory. Remember verse one, the Lord of glory. And we saw him and we went and we followed him. These four who are being baptized, you're saying, Jesus is my glory. And he showed me his glory. And James wants us to hear this. Favoritism is stupid. Because it, it contradicts the very fact of how you were saved. He says he's the king of glory. He, are you satisfied in his glory? Why would you treat others them? For your own benefit, others with partial treatment. Jesus is the friend of sinners and outcasts of the world. He came and he snatched even you out of the pit if you're a Christian. And I love how John Newton said this once in advising a person. He says, if a company of travelers were traveling and they fell into a pit, and now imagine someone reaches out and after falling into the pit, you're pulled out himself, you get pulled out of your pit. Instead of looking at those that are in the pit and mocking those in the pit, you'd say, I want to help them instead of despise them. No more would blind Bartimaeus, after being healed, start hitting everyone with a stick who's blind. Neither should we, who have received grace and no partiality, God just chose poor, unimpressive you and me. Romans 2 says God chose no partiality. Consider your salvation, friend, if you're saved. The way he chose you. Has God chosen you? If you're saved, he has in his mercy. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, consider your calling to salvation. Not many wise, not many 
of worldly standards, not many powerful, not many famous, we could say. Not all these, but God chose the weak and the broken, the poor, the ennoble in order to show his might and his grace. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, friends? Paul would say that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich in Christ. Oh, that we might know our salvation. The way in which we know and overcome favoritism at even the slightest levels and undercurrent is the fact that we know how foolish it would be because it would just contradict the very thing that God has done for us. But favoritism makes no sense that way and se- because it contradicts. But secondly, it just makes no sense in this way. Look at verses six and seven. He says, are you rich? Are the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are not they the ones, the very people that you try to impress, they're not going to help you anyways. It's stupid. Why would you do that? They're the ones that are suing you, bringing you into court. They're the ones that dishonor the beautiful name that you have been called by. Why would you do that? It's foolish to do that. Oh, that you can see James, he wants to just keep going and challenging us. The last thing I want you to see about favoritism is, in, is, is the largest section in this paragraph, verses 8 through 13. And we're not going to spend a large amount of time on there, but I want you to see it. And he says, and I, I want you to see the royal law and favoritism. If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and you're convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but fails to one point has become guilty of it all. For he who does said, do not commit adultery, also says, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, Paul, Peter, excuse me, James has not changed the subject. He is, says in verse 9, you're showing partiality and you're sinning. You're violating the law. You are a transgressor of this holy law. What law? Well, he calls it the royal law. What is the royal law? I think he's saying... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus would add in the Gospel of John, he says, You are to love others as I have loved you. Leviticus 19.18, in the law of Moses, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And just three verses earlier, he had said, You shall do no injustice in the court. You shall not be partial to the poor. You shall not... Not defer to the great and noble, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. That is one way you love your neighbor as yourself. And he calls it the royal law. Why does he call it the royal law? We're not sure. It could be because it comes, it belongs to the king, Jesus. Jesus the king wants you to obey this law. Or it's the supreme law. Just like in our country... The U.S. Constitution is called the supreme law of the land. Well, the royal law is the supreme law of the believer. Because we love God, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And when we show favoritism, we are not, loving, we are not showing 
love to our neighbor. What does it mean, I love how I read this this week, to love our neighbor as ourself? Well, we should ask this question, how do we love ourselves? Well, we don't love ourselves emotionally very much. In fact, that'd be kind of strange. I love myself very emotionally. Rather, we, most of our, our loving is, in fact, a lot of times we disapprove of ourselves. We're annoyed by ourselves. We're, we loathe ourselves sometimes. Mostly, though, we love ourselves with our concern, care, and attention to ourselves. When we catch sight of our face in the mirror, the first thing in the morning, we go, ugh. Come, it might come to our lips, but we, we move from there and we go, I'm going to take care of it, though. I need to fix it. And so it goes on through the day. Loving ourselves means providing loving care and attention, which we do to ourselves all the time, even when we don't feel emotionally excited about ourselves. And so we are to have the duty, the neighborly duty, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Everything conspires today in this. Everything in this world says love is emotion, and there is an affection, and there is a desire. Yes, there is that too in some way. But this is the kind of, we, you are show, called to show a neighborly care to each one that walk into the room, enter into your life. You are to care for them as yourself. And Paul, James says, partiality, favoritism, is breaking the law. And when you break it, you're breaking the entire law because the whole law is not like a pile of rocks. When you break one part of it, you just pick up a rock. It's like hitting a pane of glass and it shatters the whole thing. You are a lawbreaker of all of the law. And the whole law, what the point of it is, is there's a lawgiver and it's the Lord. He points to this and he says, this is serious. You'll be judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act, for judgment is without mercy for those who show no mercy. He's going to say, we're weak. You are not loving your neighbor as yourself, and you're going to be judged someday by the standard by which you have been judged. Now, what he's not saying is you need to obey the law to merit eternal life. He's not saying that, but I think what he means is if you truly have been saved, it makes a difference, and you have now been liberated. It's the law of freedom, the law of liberty, in order to love your neighbor in a new way because he opened the way by saving you. Friends, if you're saved, it is all of God's grace, and he liberates you to obey his law of liberty in a new way. True believers will obey this law, though imperfectly, they'll obey it truly and with brokenness and humility and many times of repentance because we will still sin. Oh, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Friends, the Lord Christ is the Lord of glory. The glory of man is nothing. Let's not show partiality to it. Love people because you've been loved by Christ first. Have you been? If you haven't, we want to invite you into a saving relationship with Jesus today. Love the poor and care for them as you've been cared for. Love the rich. Love the rich. But not, but truly love them, not with flattery or favoritism, of which would do them no good in the long run, but only feed the lie that they're in a good place, apart from Christ. Love their souls. Love them that they may know the grace of God. Let me ask you this. If God showed favoritism, 
Why would you think that he would show it to you? What do you bring to him that he has not already given you in the first place? No, all we have is God's grace. Oh, it's, it's great. Jesus offers his grace full and free and sufficient. Anyone who sees their need of Jesus and sees their evil and his goodness and wants him and would receive him based on what he did on the cross, he will be their king and savior and change everything. Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish pastor, tells the story of a prominent couple in his church in Scotland who were quite famous for their charitable work. They were really famous so much. I mean, they would care for the poor, the destitute, the prostitute. They, they had such a charitable organization that the, the, the wife of that, that couple, she was the CEO of this, this ministry, per se. She was, known, she was named the Scotswoman of the Year. When asked about her husband, though, Oh, she would talk about him with glowing colors. She would say something like, you know something about my husband, Hugh? He can stand in the presence of the worst stench in the universe coming from a person that he's ministering to and not even flinch. And if you were to ask him how he was able to do that, his answer wouldn't be, I have a smelling problem or I had COVID or something like that. no. He might say something like this. I know that the Lord Jesus Christ stood next to me in my own spiritual stench and he didn't flinch. He is the king and his law is my delight to show his love, that same love, to others. Oh, please listen. This is a warning to professing Christians. Jesus in his ministry towards the end of the gospel of Matthew said, depart from me. Some, of, some who think they're Christians, he's going to say, depart from me. You're going to punishment because I was hungry and you gave me no food and I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me and you were sick and I was in prison and you did not visit me. And, and we'll say... Lord, when did we see you this way? When, we, when, you, when were you hungry and thirsty and a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we didn't minister to you? And he'll say to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, oh, you showed favoritism instead. You did it to me. Friends, the gospel is this. And it hits to the heart of favoritism and of all sin. We must hear this. If you're a Christian, you have to say, when I was hungry, starving of eternal bread, the Lord Jesus fed me with the bread and wine that was his life. When I was thirsty, he came to me and satisfied my soul with his love and presence. When I was a stranger to him and all that really mattered, he welcomed me into his home and made me his family. When I was naked in filthy sin, he washed and clothed me in his robes of righteousness. When I was spiritually sick, nay, even dead, he bound my wounds, treated me, and healed me and raised me from the dead. When I was in prison, he came to me. He removed my chains and he set me free. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor 
daily I am constrained to be. Let his goodness, like a fetter, bind our hearts. It is that grace that causes us to love, a love with a mindset that sees our neighbor as ourself and shows no, no favoritism, no partiality. Oh, may we be the open arms of Jesus to our neighbors, to those who walk in this door, that enter into our lives, welcoming them into our homes, into our lives, into this church, pointing them to the very God that picked us up out of the ditch. Let's pray. Father, help us to be gripped by the gospel. Help us to be transformed by the good news of Jesus. Be with these four who are going to get baptized now and minister to them and through them and to us. Oh God, minister the good news of Jesus and how we treat one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite those who are getting baptized to go and get ready.